Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Time for us to talk about what sounds like quite a unique art exhibition. I'm joined on the line by Janine Willis, who... uh, Janine, am I right in thinking we're going to now talk about an exhibition that is not in a gallery, but is on the ocean? People will actually paddle around or swim around and look at the work. That's absolutely right, Richard. It's a, it's a gallery that will be floating atop Western Port Bay or Warmerang, Marambik, um, near the Point Leo Boat Club this weekend. It's instantly an idea that appeals to me because, partially because it's about art in an unusual place, which always fascinates me, and also because it, it moves art out of the domain of the white cube and what can sometimes be an intimidating gallery space and instead encourages people to experience art in such a very different and hopefully, whether depending, relaxing way. <laughs> yes, hopefully, whether depending. It's looking really great just for Saturday. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm ever fascinated by... Um, the opportunity for people to experience art in non-traditional ways and with visual art, as you say, outside of the white cube. And I feel um, I feel really excited about this idea because the works themselves are works by hyper-local artists from the Mornington Peninsula. They are all ocean-inspired works. And so it seemed to me that perhaps the best way to experience them or, or a fascinating way to experiencing them would be through being in the ocean itself or atop the ocean itself. And that sense of connectivity between the thematics in the works and your physical experience at the same time um, really feels quite interesting, I think. I would imagine that when you approached artists to talk about this idea that you got a pretty enthusiastic response. Ah, that's such a great question. I did, actually. I got um, a huge amount of enthusiasm and at the same time, you know, lots of lots of deep awe around how on earth we could make this happen. Um, and the journey to making, making it happen, of course, has been quite experimental and I'm really, really pleased with how how we've pulled it together. So essentially, um, if, if you imagine that you arrive and you want to explore the gallery, the, um, the works will be installed on a series of laser yachts. So laser yachts, for anyone who's not familiar, are the little baby super cute yachts. Um, each, each yacht will have a work installed on it by a different local artist. And as you said earlier, the audience will be invited to swim or paddle or row, um, bring your own wetsuit, canoe, kayak, paddle boards up, whatever, whatever takes your fancy, or perhaps just jump in and swim um, through the works, and that will be the absolute best way to see them. I mean, if you don't want to jump in, I'm sure it will be quite the scene to just watch from the beach or the clifftop, but I definitely encourage everyone to come down and join me in the water. Again, the, the idea of creating an exhibition like this is such a fascinating one. Uh, And 
what was was there a, a kind of particular kind of uh, moment where this was this like something that struck you out of the blue? Was it did it grow out of your own practice, for example? How did and and why did you come up with this idea as well? Talk to us about the I guess the the genesis of the floating gallery. Mm, thanks, Richard. Um, well, like all things for me, they tend to have multiple different sources of inspiration and. One of one of the pieces, of course, is my deep um, personal love of being in the sea, and I, I do have the blessing of living in the the magic lands down here on Bunurong and Bunurong country on the Mornington Peninsula. So I'm in the ocean, you know, almost every day, either surfing, swimming, free diving, sailing, and so being out there in the sea so much and equally having just a deep love of art and a deep love of contemporary art, it it really did occur to me that if I was to curate uh, local artists in a visual art context, that it just simply felt like it must be from the sea. It was, it was almost like there was no other way. Um, And that, that, um, of course, is is built off the back of all of all of the shows and installations that I've made. Whether it's me making the work myself as an artist or me curating work, have always been in non-traditional spaces. And you know, I can't actually think of too many things that I've made that are in traditional spaces. There's a couple of things, but most of the things I've made, I'm just very much like you, very enamoured with the idea of how we bring in people who may not, you know, may not necessarily even consider themselves to be art or cultural enthusiasts and to come in and have that incredible experience that we we know as great art lovers um, you can have with art. So to have that incredible um, aha moments that make you feel either connected to yourself in some other way, connected to others, connected to, to the environment, and in this case, of course, connected to the momentousness of the ocean, the absolute extraordinary thing that it is and how she guides us, how we need to care for her um, more consideredly, in, in a more considered way, I should say, um, in this in these times that we're in, in this climate crisis times, in these times of human evolution, um, yeah, that's where it came from. The Floating Gallery is going to be accessible this Saturday, the 14th of May, uh, just uh, offshore from the Point Leo Boathouse. And if you've not been to Point Leo before, it's about 98 k's or so from Melbourne uh, down on the Mornington Peninsula. How many artists are represented in the floating gallery. And can you tell us a little bit about their work, Janine? Sure. So there's eight local artists. Um, Perhaps the best way is to give you a couple of examples. So we have artists like Shanai Kellett, who is presenting a really beautiful, beautiful work. Shanai is a local Indigenous artist living on these lands here, originally from Yorta Yorta country, um, we have, you know, the incredible Layla Bulma. So Layla has uh, sort of a multi, multi-practice, multi but one of her great um, icons, I guess, in her practice is her single-line painting. So a really great work by Layla. Um, 
artists like Warren Cook and Hayden O'Neill, artists that I've followed for such a long time down here. Hayden O'Neill is a really prolific um, water photographer. I absolutely adore his work. Warren Cook um, is presenting a work that is an incredibly detailed drawing, which he made. Um, he makes a lot of works from the sea, looking back at the land, which is quite a fascinating thing um, to observe. So plenty of um, plenty of gorgeous local artists there. Judith Van Heeren, her, um, her works are always incredibly stunning and uh, one of her Underwater Gardens series um, will be featured. Alice Blanche, so many great artists. Sarah Dingwall with a great um, glass work. So, yeah, there's a little taste for you. And all of these works literally floating on the ocean to be viewed uh, by people who are swimming, rowing, paddling, uh, perhaps... Uh, if you were me, for example, it'd be like, right, grab a l- an inflatable lilo, uh, possibly a life jacket, maybe a glass of wine in a sippy cup uh, <laughs> and kind of paddle out to look at the work. It's, it strikes you as a really relaxing way to look at art, albeit possibly also combining relaxing and strenuous, depending on how, <laughs> how hard you want to row or paddle. I love it, please. I love that um, invitation for everyone to become very creative in the way that they experience it. So, yes, bring down all the flotation devices and it will be a joy. It'll be such a playful experience and I'm so thrilled to have a chat with you about it. What time uh, is will the works be accessible? Can people get there at dawn, mm. for example, to watch the sunrise and look at work or...? Yeah, it's a great question. So we'll be launching the Lazy Yachts at dawn. Um, we have written 10 until 2 on the on the official communication. But, yes, you know, there will be something to see earlier on. It depends how long it takes us to, um, to get the yachts out. We're doing, obviously, rehearsal runs and installation runs these past um, few days this week. So I'd say that it will be open a little bit earlier than 10 a.m. But if you do get down there at dawn, you'll basically be um, perhaps having the... Um, you know, the sight of us setting it all up from the beach, which would be quite fun too. Yep, so you can watch the work being installed and then paddle out and see it. So the mm. uh, the floating gallery at Point Leo this Saturday, the 14th of May, officially from 10 till 2. Uh, it sounds like it will be absolutely delightful. Janine Willis, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Triple... One of the reasons I love doing this show is, apart from the conversations which I get to have with a range of artists across different art forms, which are always stimulating, I also learn new things and new facts. For example, I've recently learned that a meatus is an opening or passage leading to the interior of the body, such as the ear canal and nasal passages. So if you've ever wondered what the technical term was, now you know. Meatus is also the name of an exhibition that's currently on at ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. Joining us on the line is artist Francis Barrett to talk about Meatus. Francis, thanks for joining us. Hi, Richard. It's wonderful to be talking to you this morning. Now... Meatus is a very appropriate name for this exhibition, which strongly features sound as a as a key component. But talk to us a little bit about 
why you wanted to explore the idea of the meatus through art? Yeah, so uh, my last few projects have been looking at ideas around listening and um, when I was doing some research into the structure of the ear came across this term meatus and then when thinking about how the meatus was not just the opening of the ear, but also then extended to these openings of the nose and to the urethra, um, I started to understand, okay, so this meatus is, there's a multiplicity. It extends across the body. It's just not one site. And so I then started thinking about how, well, listening is not just located in the ears, but instead can be a fully embodied experience. That it, that um, my idea around meatus as a kind of practice of embodied listening, it, it you know, I was thinking about how it can potentially decenter the ear and extend and extend listening uh, to you know a nexus of senses uh, and sort of intensities and um, sensations, which is automatically an interesting and intriguing idea to explore. Anybody who's been to a, a loud gig, for example, will be familiar with that sense of perhaps their internal organs vibrating because of the, <laughs> the subsonics and the bass and, the, and the, the intensity of the sound. Is that one of the ideas you wanted to then tap into? You, you mentioned decentering yeah. the ear. So listening with the whole body, feeling sound, not just hearing it. Yeah, but also, you know, thinking about affect, so thinking about, you know, the emotional potential or, you know, other kind of senses that we have. Um, so, yeah, literally the, I guess, vibrations of sound that impacts um, our body, but also thinking about how, um, I guess, how we are moved, you know, um, by listening and, and um, yeah, so I guess it, it encompasses both of those. Now, what's intriguing for me about this work, too, is that it's uh, very much a collaborative work. Yeah, so um, I was lucky enough to be one of the recipients of the Suspended Moment Fellowship in 2019. And for that, I proposed, you know, a work, a sound work um, uh, of a vocal composition. So then when I was found out that ACCA was going to be hosting and presenting the work, and they said, no, you don't just have one gallery, you've got the entire you know, space for galleries of of, the, of ACCA, uh, I started to kind of expand and extend my thinking around the project and for, um, yeah, and, and which made me sort of think, okay, well, what's a through line of a lot of my work? And a lot of works that I've done previously have always been in collaboration. So I've um, collaborated with lots of different curators or different artists uh, in the development of my works. And so I thought I would apply that to the fellowship opportunity and to the project at ACCA. So I collaborated with artists Brian Sawata and Haley Ford uh, for the large vocal composition you can hear in Gallery One. And then I invited um, Del Lamanta, Siona Timohenga, Nina Buchanan and Debris Facility Proprietary Limited to develop sound compositions as well um, to occupy ACCA. Were these artists you had worked with before in some of your performance works, for example, or were they people who were on your radar uh, in other ways? Yeah, most of the artists, well, all of the artists, actually, I'd been working with previously. Um, so, you know, Brian and I had been sort of working on and off with each other for the last 10 years. Um, Debris and I have a long-standing um, friendship and, and kind of... I know, always in dialogue around each other's projects, 
Del, we'd worked in radio together, and Nina on, on very and Sione on various earlier projects. Um, so they were, I guess, Miatus and the collaborative or um, kind of collective um, uh, framework, um, I guess, sort of, I don't know, it speaks to a history of my practice. It speaks to a history of relationships. Um, these are all artists who have taught me um, or extended my thinking around sound and performance and listening. So I really wanted to kind of, uh, I guess, embed into Miatus this idea of collectivity or collaboration. What is it that those artists have taught you? I guess with performance, like, I mean, largely Brian... Um, I guess it's like extending ideas of what embodiment can be, experimental embodiment, um, also kind of testing and trialling what experimental vocalisation can be. Um, I think with this project, we really did um, try and sort of think about the voice as a force or a voice as a, uh, as a form of touch, you know, an extension of the body. So that's, I guess, what we were trialling there. And Hayley Ford and um, the audio technician, uh, audio engineer of this whole project, Felix Abraham, we, the, I mean, they just taught me about how to kind of conceptualise of sound as a material, as, a, as almost a sculptural material. Um, and so for me, I've just learnt incredibly um, through these, the making of this work, uh, thinking about how to... Yeah, shape, build a sound installation, how to kind of present performance uh, with the voice and thinking about performance without having, you know, a corporal, visceral sort of physical presence, but to think of an installation like a performance. And then Del, Sione and, and Debris and, and Nina have really... I don't know, each of them have taught me, I guess, around ideas of like community-based practices, of thinking about um, our imprints, our physical imprint on sound, thinking about, um, you know, Nina taught me about emotional sort of affect, the affective qualities of sound. So, yeah, I think each of them have built the idea of meatus and contributed to sort of the layered ideas around meatus in, in multiple ways. Now, given that the this work has grown out of out of a fellowship, was were uh-huh. Acker surprised by you wanting to create a larger collaborative work as opposed to you being the sole focus of the work? No, I think Acker was always super on board. I mean, I think with Acker, it's they are very ambitious with whatever project they're undertaking. Um, so I think. You know, working with Annika Christensen and Max Delaney in developing this, these ideas, uh, they were very supportive of um, embedding collectivity and collaboration as part of the project and process. Something else that intrigues me about Miatus is how audiences will experience the work. You, you talked about uh, mm. sculpting sound earlier, for example, mm. uh, and one thing that that immediately makes me think about is, is just how significant the placement of speakers throughout ACA must be for this to ensure that the, yeah. the, the sound is angled correctly and that people are experiencing it how you want them to hear it. But the flip side of that is thinking about how members of the public will engage and interact with the work because you don't mm-hmm. just want them to walk through all four empty galleries, uh, which you could do in just a couple of minutes and walk straight out again. You want them to slow down, to respond physically, emotionally, mentally to the work. But 
I, and this occurred to me because of a, a review I read about the piece, which pointed out that gallery visitors have been conditioned from a young age to engage with the visual in a space. You've stripped the visual out and replaced it with sound. So talk to us about mm. how you want people to, to engage with the galleries as they pass through, how you want them to engage with the sound. Do you want them to, to stand, to sit, to lie down? Everything. I mean, ideally, Richard, people will cruise through the space. You know, I mean, I guess what I've... I guess, you know, my background is performance. And so I've kind of really approached this installation almost like a performative staging into which an audience enters. So I've approached ACCA and all of the galleries of ACCA as a meatus itself. So as though you get, you walk in and you're swallowed by this kind of red light, the, the, the sound, and as you sort of mentioned, all of the speakers um, kind of create, I guess, an encompassing kind of swallowing sonic effect um and so the works i guess as an audience experience you know i'm hoping that you walk into the space and understand it almost like a performance um and that you know i guess with these ex this experience it does take time because you are listening um you're you're kind of can walk through and experience several different sound compositions and how um we've developed them or presented them is almost there in sequence as well so you can listen to one after the other um while they're in gallery one our vocal composition will play on loop so for me i think the experience is giving over and um you know walking through or sitting or however maybe you want to experience the work it's all very malleable i guess um but i guess hopefully people feel engulfed encompassed embraced um by the work and perhaps more conscious of the, the what's the plural of meatus? Meati in their own bodies. It is meatus. So both with that one word is both the plural and the singular. As people sit there, then experiencing this work as they as they pass through uh, the the four different spaces of Acker with the sound permeating their bodies and coming through a more traditional listening function, are you expecting that people will become more aware of sound and more conscious of how they listen? Yeah, I mean, hopefully. I feel like, um, for me, I, I really feel like it's, activates their bodies entirely entering into the space that they can, um, yeah, exactly slow down and take the time to listen and to kind of understand the arc. There's a temporal arc to this exhibition, so I'm hoping that people understand that listening, you know, takes time. It takes a, a form of slowing down. It takes, um, I don't know, to let, I guess, the sensorial... Um, yeah, let, let it wash over you and to, um, I guess, be conscious of the different kind of intensities, the different kind of um, responses that your body might have in the space. Francis Barrett Meatus is now showing at ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, 111 Sturt Street, Southbank, until the 19th of June. And you can go to acca.melbourne for details. Francis, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. 
To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. The Australian National Academy of Music, ANAM, is presenting a series of works. Uh, ANAM has commissioned in total 67 new Australian compositions, uh, and they are being presented from Friday through to Sunday at Abbotsford Convent in St Helier's Street, Abbotsford. If you're not familiar with ANAM, it's a performance training academy and institution uh, that takes some of the best young musicians in Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, and trains them up to play at an elite level. Joining me in the studio to tell us more about ANAM's Set Festival is ANAM's Artistic Director, Pavali Yumpanen. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you. A big pleasure to be here. Commissioning 67 works is a significant undertaking. Commissioning one or two new works uh, is, is in itself a major uh, statement for an orchestra or an ensemble, for example. So to commission 67 new works is really quite remarkable. How did this project come about? You're right. It's, <clears throat> it's quite unbelievable. And, and uh, as I said uh, coming in, uh, I wish it were my idea. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, Anam has, uh, or in uh, in 2021, we had 67 students, and uh, we spent part of the year in lockdown, and uh, as did the whole creative um, live performance scene of Australia. And we were thinking of what to do, what can we do at this time uh, to keep us going, but then what can we do that that would make the future also better? And somebody came up with the idea of why don't we commission every single Anna musician uh, a new work from an Australian composer and uh, when they presented this idea to me I said that sounds fantastic but do we have are there 67 composers who can deliver and little did I know that we got more than 200 applications and uh, and uh, there we are so every single Anna musician uh, violinist uh, bassoonist pianist percussionist every, everyone uh, has a new solo solo work uh, uh, composed uh, during last year from from these composers and uh, all of the works um, in total uh, uh, create more than eight hours of new classical music um, very different styles you know, some some very avant-garde some very nostalgic some beautiful some using electronics and so forth and uh, now we're pre- presenting the new works the premiering them officially at the Adam Set Festival at the at the convent this coming weekend. It's fantastic that over 200 submissions were made from people wanting to to compose, uh, and they were just Australian composers. Yeah, they were Australian comp- composers, and 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 the vast majority of very high professional level people who are who are who are uh, who make a living being composers. And and uh, I, I wish we could do this. I almost wish we could do this every year because the, the, you know, the, there are so many voices out there. Some are up and coming. Some are studying. Uh, abroad, uh, they're in New York and in in in, in, uh, in in Europe, and different different parts of the country, different generations, different states, different ages, and as I said, different styles. How did you actually select which composers would uh, write the sixty-seven new pieces for one for each student? Well, we had a we had a selection committee. I chaired that, and we had a faculty member and and uh, an associate artist there uh, who know the scene and and. Uh, and uh, 
one criteria was that these people had to write a, a work for an acoustic solo instrument. They some of the, the works do use uh, the electronic uh, electronic component um, or, or or some other element. But for instance, com- composers who mainly work in the in, in the electronic sphere um, might not have c- c- come through. There were some very very experienced uh, composers, uh, celebrated composers who mainly write operas or for symphony orchestras. So in, in in those cases, um, you know, they may may have not uh, come through. But but uh, unfortunately and inevitably, we missed some some great ones as as, as well. And and uh, so this is. Um, it, it's not going to be the last time we're, we're com- uh, commissioning works, and so uh, it's 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 kind of a snapshot of what was out there that year and what this particular selection panel thought would be the selection. And I love the idea that each one is written for an individual musician playing at Anam, uh, and so highlighting that musician, their skills, their particular instrument. Oh, that was important. That was that was an important part of it. Uh, I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, we teamed uh, the composers with the with the musicians, so there was an early discussion uh, between a young, up and coming performer, and in some cases, a celebrated composer. Sometimes an up and coming composer as well. And uh, they shared ideas. Uh, they talked about musics that they like, um, and 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 also practical things. In there are cases when when uh, new, sort of young composers are are com- composing for for a particular instrument for the first time, so they need, need to le- learn what's the range of a bassoon, and 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 so so forth. And and during last year, we had the opportunity, or the musicians and the composers had the opportunity to collaborate in in. Uh, preparing the works for their first sort of in-house performances, which took place at Anam last year, um, and uh, and uh, so um, so th- sometimes there was an early version that was re- reworked through this process, and uh, just a great learning uh, opportunity for our young musicians because they will, after this ex- experience, they know what it is uh, to to, um, to to commission a work and what it is to present a work that is that has never been heard before you can't go to youtube and listen for a recording you have to just imagine everything uh yourself and create the work yourself so there's this all this responsibility and just the excitement of hearing some things for the fir- very first time that is exciting and i can understand that yes it's, it's also a responsibility to the musicians to to honor the work to do it justice but for each of the, the these musicians to premiere a work and a world premiere at that. Again, this is a significant undertaking and a significant, highly significant series of performances. Oh, absolutely! I've been part of planning many festivals, but and and uh, you're right. When there is a new performance, uh, a world premiere, one world premiere at a festival, uh, it, it, it's super exciting, and people wait 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 for it and, and can't wait to hear it. And 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 there are all these unknowns that go into a first performance of, of, of a work and, and we're going to do this 67 times uh, uh, this coming week and it's just unbelievable. So the series of performances are happening from Friday through until Sunday at the Abbotsford Convent. Where in the convent and at, and kind of what kind of times are we talking about here? Uh, well, um, um, there are different venues at the convent that we, uh, we present in. We are... Um, in the auditorium, we are in a venue called the Magdalena Laundry and a venue called uh, uh, Oratorium. 
and there will be some pop-up concerts on the on the on the grounds as well so outdoors hopefully with with with, with the good weather um you should check out the website of uh the festival so set.anam.com.au to see the full programming um the i i can say that uh um the the 67 compositions are organized in nine different concerts and some of the concerts run for for a few times so there are several several ways that an audience member can hear all 67 works or you can just come to one one thing if 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 you wanted to we've organized the works to be presented a little bit like at a film, film festival so that there are sort of a, there are sort of a character character categories there is a, a concept called nostalgia and there is a concept called mind games and there is a, a bit of a, a political concept called sounds of an agenda and uh, there is a sort of intellectual category called weights and measures and 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 so forth so so um so uh we're 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 uh, organizing the works so that people can pe- people can think of what kind of new music they are into or what kind of kind of music they're definitely going to hate <laughs> and either choose to come to that one or not to Pavali, in terms of the this as a series of concerts, then uh, uh, you mentioned nostalgia is the name of, of one. Would it, I be right in assuming then that the works that have been programmed in that are deliberately echoing older styles of classical music that might be more familiar to some listeners, for example? Well, exactly, exactly. That 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 is the, that is the whole point. So, with these uh, categories, uh, we wanted to uh, we wanted to uh, sort of. Uh, um, give people a, a, a color and, a, and an atmosphere and a vibe. It's this kind of a thing is not an educational uh, sort of uh, thing, thing at, at all. So pe- we we want people to come there and and you know close their eyes and and just just enjoy or 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 be provoked um, and 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 also be surprised. But um, but uh, uh, we're talking about short works. Um, each one is. From from I think from six to eight minutes long, and so so some some sort of programming uh, principles needed needed to go in. And I've always dreamt of of uh, programming uh, or presenting a, a festival uh, of music which looks a bit like um, like a, like a film festival in that that you can choose what you like and 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 read a little bit about the music beforehand. Um, and and um, I'm very happy that we were able to do it here. I wonder how many people will attend every performance and how many people will just drift in, out, drift in and out. And I would imagine there will be some people who are uh, kind of so passionate about Australian composition and new Australian classical music that some people will try to see every concert or almost every concert with, um, a, I don't know, on the Saturday from 9.30 to 12 p.m., lunch break, then again from 1 till 6, dinner break, then again from 7.15 to 9.30pm. That's a long day, but I, I can see that there will be people who will do that. There, there will be people who will do that. We, in fact, we know there will be because we sold a few hundred festival passes that will get you uh, through uh, one, of the, one of the streams um, to, to, uh, to hear everything at the, at the festival. And so, uh, I, I will certainly hear, hear, hear all of the co- uh, compositions, if not all the concerts, some of the concerts run parallel. So, so that, that's also why they're repeated. And another significant, uh, sort of, uh, audience segment will be the composers because we have more than 50 of them attending the festival. And so, uh, so that's another, n- 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 another really fun element that we're going to be able to, to take 
uh, an unbelievable uh, sort of a class photograph of of the Australian composers who are who are active uh, actively part of this this Anamses festival this year. I know there are other other ones out there as well. But. And again, no pressure on the the musicians who are playing these works for the first time. Then not only is it the world premiere, but for many of them, they will be playing it in the presence of the composer who created the piece. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, what you said about Anam in the beginning, this uh, us being a sort of a, a national team of classical music in in, in Australia, which is a way uh, I've described it to some of my my, my friends uh, outside of the country, because there there aren't really institutions like training institutions like this on this level outside of the con- outside of this country, and this is something that the Australians don't don't really know. Anam is is, is a very very unique uh, way to train uh, classical musicians who would otherwise already be out there playing in the orchestras and and making a making a difference, uh, starting string quartets and and playing. Be, be, being the leaders of their generation already, we are able to give them further training and, and expose them to something like this, for instance. So um, I'm fully confident that uh, that our, our student musicians, the Anna musicians, are, are well, very capable of handling the pressures. Which makes it all the more remarkable, what you've, given what you've just said about Anam as an institution that I think it was 12 or 14 years ago, the federal arts minister at the time was like, oh, no, we'll close this place down. We'll amalgamate it with something else. It was like, no, this is such an, an important institution internationally, as you say. Uh, I guess perhaps as a before I give the, the, the details again of the Anam Set Festival kind of times and dates and, and so forth, uh, Pavli, in terms of the current crop of musicians studying at Anam, where do you expect them to go in the in the next few years? Will they be uh, off on the other side of the world, becoming members of leading orchestras? That's the kind of training that Anam provides for them. Um, that's that's going to be one one career path uh, for, for them, certainly. Um, so um, there are needs uh, in the, in the classical music industry. There are people people n- needed to to uh, fulfill those uh, those opportunities and those those jobs. But more than that, I actually expect and want them to lead us to the future. Um, uh, th- we we are the future of classical music at, at, at other training institutions as well. But we certainly try to. Uh, uh, harness these young musicians with with an independent mind and uh, and great appreciation for for uh, music and for culture and for culture's place in this in the soci- society. They are also virtuoso musicians, so they can they can do the all, all of this. But uh, but I'd like to see that that the great skill that they have already when they come in and uh, certainly after we cultivate them for 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 a couple of years, uh, they'll take us to places and they'll show us what. The, future of music will be like if you want to get a sample of what the future of classical music is like head along to the abbotsford convent uh, from this friday through until sunday uh, the convent located officially at one st Helier's street in abbotsford to experience the anam set festival uh, and you can jump online set.anam.com.au for full details about the program, the schedule and how to get your hands on a festival pass as well. I've been chatting with the Artistic Director of Anam, the Australian National Academy of Music, Pavali Yumpanen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the art, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. 
Hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 